This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Hague. Nigel Farage is the most influential politician, certainly since Margaret Thatcher. And if we have no time for experts, that's because we all believe that we are all experts now. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? All in It Together is the fourth and presumably the final volume of Alwyn Turner's rather wonderful series unpacking the recent history of the country, uh, beginning in the 1970s with Crisis, What Crisis? And we discussed that book in, um, it must have been 2008. And just 13 short years later, here we are again. Alwyn, thank you so much for having us. A pleasure to be here. Is this the final volume? Is it going to be the uh, the end? or It's not really a continuation of in the same way. The, 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 the first three were intended as a trilogy. This is slightly <laughs> different. <laughs> slightly different. Yeah. To, yeah. But it's the fourth volume in a trilogy, but it is slightly different in style it is, and, yes. and approach. And I see it as, uh, as a standalone book, probably. And I don't know that I'm going to get any further than this, to be honest, because clearly we've entered a new phase of British society, uh, which I, I guess is going to be dated, come to, dated to the to the referendum in, in 2016 and there's no indication of that coming to an end very soon so I don't know when when it would be time to do another I have one. to say I have a 16 year old daughter who's going to uh, do history at a level and she's mm-hmm. getting this book to understand the the <laughs> right sort so, of yeah. the very recent past it'd be very difficult to do an a level without this book and indeed the three previous <laughs> and, volumes. And nobody should try yeah. it is extremely readable extremely entertaining and you have that genius for for recovering the past the past that we sort of think we remember Hmm. but of course we remember it from when we were doing it and now we've got hindsight and one of your usps is that you're really good at saying no no hindsight's all very well but you remember how it actually was to be there at the time i think that seems to me the point of writing history to a large extent, is trying to recapture that. And although this is very recent, I mean, it's, it's barely history, except it does feel like it to some extent to me. I well, mean, as you say, we, uh, there, there has been a kind of a watershed which which is going to uh, cast forward. And of course, there was a watershed at the beginning of this period. It, it's sort of the end of uh, the end of the last century or the beginning of this one. And then there was 9-11, yeah. which was a turning point. Undoubtedly. Um, Frankly, Brexit, at least in this country, is going to be uh, another, mm-hmm. another such. So this is a, a sort of definable era. I, th- I, th- I think it is, and and that's why the previous books that I've written were were centred on decades, and this is not. This is a decade and a half, but it seemed to be that's when it came to an end. The the coalition government was a continuation of what had been there before, and society was was much the same as it had been before, and then comes Brexit. Well, it was convulsively changing though and i want to deal with that in a, a bit uh, as well but before that in a way um p- part of the the originality of your approach of your approach is that you're very concerned with pop culture you think pop culture tells us mm-hmm. um a lot more about about the way we live than than perhaps um, most historians you're, you're much less concerned with uh, debates in parliament than you are mm-hmm. with you know what happens at greg's the baker in fact you've got another thing haven't you that uh, greg's the bakers and and something else was more important than booker prize oh certainly that's true um popular culture is more interesting than high culture when trying to get a taste of, of where the nation is because by definition it's consumed by more people and it becomes popular if it resonates with people but I also think that popular culture shapes um, uh, 
social attitudes and political attitudes as well. More people watch dramas on TV than watch the news and stuff is filtered through and people's perceptions and people's attitudes are shaped by the, the culture that they consume. And the politics that's in there is treated in much the same way. This is not, I'm not um, an insider, I'm not uh, a, a, a journalist or a, I don't work in Westminster or Whitehall. This is me trying to capture how we as ordinary people consumed politics. Well, yes, but I bet that you were less surprised by the result of the Brexit vote than us sort of metropolitan elite uh, socialist liberals. I, um, I see myself as being very well, elite, obviously. But uh... Yes, and you live here in London. But I bet that didn't surprise you as much as it did, say, me. I, I, I predicted it wrong, I have to be honest. I, 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 th I thought that uh, Remain would win. Um, but no, it doesn't really surprise me a great deal. Well, it does, in retrospect, it, does, it doesn't. No, it, we it, all know. Yeah, but, it, but it, 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 it feels like, which is kind of the point of the book, that um, the, the Brexit vote, which I don't deal with, I mean, I, I stopped just before it, but it's, it's the whole point of the book really is to explain where that, that came from and to suggest that it, it is not a vote about Europe at all. It's, a, it's, it's a, a metaphor for all the other discontents that already existed. And Nigel Farage, who comes out of the book, I think, as I, I, I would suggest the most influential politician since, certainly since Margaret Thatcher, um, had a genius for encapsulating all people's discontents and dissatisfactions and giving them a single target to aim at. And he was extremely good on television. He was he was quite brilliant. Oh, I mean, love him or loathe him. And I an think. extraordinary politician. And it's, it's, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a position of judging whether he's good or not is but but as a, as a, a politician he had an influence that very very few have ever had and there is uh, one of the one of the uh, things that's happened in in this period is very much the fragmentation of of our sort of shared social life the the glue that 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 used to to bind us together seems to have dissipated largely because of the you know the proliferation of television channels uh, social media and the internet and, and 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 things like that we don't have shared experiences in the way we used to anymore either we don't and we feel the the, the need for it i mean I, I i think that was already apparent in the 1990s that um in addition to the, the the factors you're talking about, there's also the uh, the assault on the professions under under Thatcher that, that destroyed our, our faith in people with authority and position within our own lives, as opposed to. But they failed figures. us as well, didn't they? The, 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 oh, you everybody, know, everybody. When, when, when Michael Gove talks about uh, having had enough of experts, he he was again tapping into a popular sense that experts no longer. Um, served their purpose. Yes, yeah, and, and, and he was absolutely right. I mean, he, in the narrow sense, he was talking about financial experts, the IMF and, and, and various people who are predicting a terrible outcome from Brexit. But his, his comment uh, has a more general application, which is why it's remained, in the same way that uh, Margaret Thatcher might have been talking about something very specific with there's no such thing as society. But the reason that those, uh, those quotes have a, uh, have a longevity out of context is because they resonate with people and they seem to express something that is true and i think that's certainly the case with there's uh, we, we've heard enough from experts people had heard enough from experts they wanted to hear from themselves now and and you tie that 
in rather brilliantly, you've, you've got that knack of finding the exact detail, with uh, John Sargent nearly winning Strictly Come Dancing. Again, the, mm. the, 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 the BBC, Arlene Phillips, wanted the public to vote him off because he couldn't dance. Yeah, and it was supposed to be and a And the dom- public said, we're not having that, we're not being told. But, but, but the, 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 yeah, there's a, a huge conflict between... Uh, the BBC and the makers of the programme who saw it as a dance programme and uh, <laughs> and the public who saw it as entertainment. And John Sargent was terrifically entertaining and the fact that he couldn't dance was was a large part of the appeal. But they also have that, that odd uh, halfway house with reality t- television where you've got a panel of judges but you've also got the public voting and the two did not match up in that instance. I mean, there were other cases but nothing quite as extreme as, as, as John Sargent. But then there are parallels in politics, aren't there, where you, you, you had all the major parties uh, advising the British people to vote to remain in Europe, mm-hmm. and the British people said, no, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, we, we want something something else. And what's more, what they really wanted, you suggest, and I'm sure you're right, is they wanted their, their vote to count. Um, they didn't want to be taken for granted. They didn't want it just to be a, a, a stitch-up. There's, there's been a great deal of talk over the last two decades of a mood of anti-politics. People have lost faith in politics, and I don't think that's true. People are interested in politics, they're just not interested in the political process as it currently exists. You give them something to vote on where they think their vote will matter, and they turned out in large numbers. They did for the Scottish referendum in 2014. A huge they, numbers, it was the yeah, biggest, uh, yeah. Far, far bigger than they were getting for Westminster or Edinburgh. Mm. And they turned out in very large numbers for the Brexit referendum. And, and for anti-war. Uh, and, and, yeah, and the, the demonstrations at the beginning of yeah. this century, the, the anti-Iraq war and the, uh, the, the uh, pro, pro-hunting yeah. uh, marches. These were the biggest demonstrations that ever been. And maybe some of that relates back to what you were saying about how society has become more atomised and we don't have those shared experiences. I think it's perfectly possible to see that Iraq demonstration as being, in part, a wish to belong to something and to to commune with other people and that that coming together of a large number of people is uh, is is quite distinctive of our times as well again the 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 roots of it back in the 90s with things like the uh, uh when oasis played at nebworth for two nights and it was the biggest gigs that had ever been staged in britain but the number of people who applied for tickets they could have been playing for four weeks and still packed it out with the same numbers that that wish to be part of a crowd I think is an inevitable reaction against the fact that we spend, a, so many of us spend all day sitting in front of a screen on our own. You identify Tony Blair as sort of an emblematic figure of of this process of people wanting politics to matter and then and then being being disappointed finding. I mean, how much damage do you think Tony Blair did to to the moral standing of politics? I I, I think he's extraordinarily destructive. Um, mostly because he was so big and so popular to start with. We remember a, the day when he was, yeah, yeah, and there was an outpouring of, of th- delight and excitement. And, and, and it had been three years coming. You know, it, 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 when he became leader in 1994, the, the Labour Party was already 20 points ahead in the polls. It was going to win the next election without any question. But it was Blair himself, because he was selling himself as a clean pair of hands, distinct from Tory sleaze and from all the, all the stuff that had admired the, uh, the Conservative government of John Major. And that 
wonderful quote of his when the, the Eccleston affair broke and he went on television and said, I'm, I'm just a pretty straight kind of guy. Well, let's remind ourselves, though, because that was really compromising. The Eccleston affair was this business of, uh, of uh, uh, taking away advertising from, from motor racing and then Eccleston makes a big donation to the Labour Party. The, the, it was, it was uh, a ban on, on cigarette sponsorship oh, that's what it was. Um, in sports and culture. And Formula One had an exemption, which was not related in any way whatsoever, uh, my learned friends advised me to suggest, to the £1 million donation that Bernie <laughs> Eccleston gave to the Labour Party. Um, and and then Blair, Blair went on television yeah. and said, look, you can trust me, I'm a pretty straight kind of guy. And I think the problem with Iraq, and it all comes back to Iraq with Tony Blair, I mean, I know he doesn't wish it to, and those who are still loyal to him resent the fact that it is, but it is all about Iraq. Mm. And it's not about the war itself. It's not about the invasion of Iraq. It's about the idea that he lied to go to war. Prime ministers fall, generally, because their USP has been undermined by their own actions. And in Blair's case, his whole strength was that he was different and he was honest. And then the perception grew that he had lied. And I think it was the lying rather... I don't believe that actually that many people were really motivated by the deaths of Iraqi civilians. I think they were... It was, it was an internal thing about Britain itself. And Blair was the man who was supposed to re-inspire trust in the political process. And then he, he squandered that. But the, the big thing here is that unlike Boris, who lies and everybody goes, oh, yeah, it's Boris, hmm. with Blair, when Blair is perceived to have lied, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. It, it, because, it, because it, it, it cuts against what he was supposed to be doing. Mm. And he had so far to fall because he had been so popular, because he had been so trusted. That fall was really quite spectacular. And I, I, I think it destroys faith in politicians because if, if, we'd, if we'd fallen out of love with politics because the major government seemed to be uh, spending all its time in, in financial and sexual scandals, then we had... A new start and it turned out to be as corrupt <laughs> meet the new boss what well, yeah, Same so, as the old yeah boss. indeed so so what did we have left who, who are you going to trust now they looked increasingly like each other blair was really not very dissimilar to to john major in terms of any of his policies and then david cameron was, and david was cameron was consciously deliberately yes. consciously recreating blair yeah. um and indeed declaring himself the heir to blair um, so what did you have left? Well, you had Nick Clegg for a brief moment in the 2010 election when Clegg mania oh, erupted. 40 minutes, yeah. And, and again, it was seen as, ah, last. There's a nice, yeah, young, but... plausible young man who's telling the truth, and then he blew it as well. And, and of and course, really, he, he blew left. it again by, um, by something that, that was unpalatable to, to the electorate, which is that the, the, uh, the, the student loans thing, mm -hmm. where it was in the manifesto that they were going to abolish them. And he connived, he didn't do it, but he connived with uh, tripling them. Yeah. And that, at that point, and that, the that, Liberal and, Democrats were finished. But, but if it hadn't been that issue, there would have been another one, I suspect, because people, um, the people who voted Lib Dem the reason their vote had grown over the previous decade was, again, because of Iraq. Uh, there were people who were disaffected with Labour and therefore were voting Lib Dem in protest. And there was no way that they were going to uh, approve of a coalition with the Conservatives. And the fact that he doesn't get that policy through, well, so what? He's the junior partner in a coalition. 
you can't expect him to implement his entire manifesto. They got virtually everything that was really big and important. The stuff that they put on the front cover of the manifesto, all five pledges, were implemented. So, I mean, it was incredibly successful in political terms. But in terms of the electorate, it was a complete disaster. And in terms of perception. I I, I, I don't want to give the impression that this is heavily um, and greyly political, because although the politics comes in, um, it's, it's enormously lively. And of course, going back to your um, your, your feel for the, the pop culture, I was very taken with your discussion of the difference between comedians. Mm-hmm. You, you do uh, the difference between the way uh, the extremely vulgar comedian Roy Chubby Brown is dealt with in the world and other beyond the pale comedians like Jimmy Carr and Frankie Boyle. Can you do that for me a bit? Because that actually says as much about, well, the book, but also about uh, the times we've been living in as all of this stuff about the Iraq war. uh, Roy Chubby Brown was not somebody I expected to cover in this book at all. he, He wasn't in the original proposal. But when I started looking at him, it became impossible to ignore him. Um, he's He was at one point the most popular live comedian in the country. He sold incredibly well. Uh, his tours were sellouts and his DVDs as they were by this century. I mean, it started with audio cassettes back in the 80s. Mm. but <laughs> Wax was, cylinders. Yes, indeed. He'd been around a very long time. And he was playing to audiences that were about 40 years younger than him. Doing this incredibly vulgar, um, old school uh, comedy, and was never on television. Well, he made, he made one appearance on Top of the Pops with uh, oh, Smokey yes. singing uh, "Living Next Door to Alice," and if you can fill in the rest of it, then you will remember. Yes. Um, and he made a brief appearance in the League of Gentlemen. Um, That's right, because, uh, because of course, Royce because it was na- named after his, his real name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but apart from that, he was not. He was persona non grata. Well, for because all he was extremely vulgar. He was. Uh, he was obscene. He was obnoxious in his attitudes and uh, and offensive. But then he's not unique in that. No, no. no that, that's the point of of comparing him with Jimmy Carr, who is also obscene mm. and offensive and deliberately so. Um, and yet Jimmy Carr is on television a great deal, and indeed has his own show that he presents and still does. Um, so there is a difference between them. And my suggestion with this is that this is an issue of class, um, that Roy Chubby Brown plays very well to working class audiences in the Midlands and the North um, and does not play the Edinburgh Festival or the O2 or Wembley or any of that. He, 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 his, his market is entirely separate. Plays um, Dewsbury and, yes. and Middlesbrough and, and Walsall and, yeah. uh, and Wolverhampton and places and and very successfully, but he is also banned from a large number of venues uh, that are owned by local councils who do not wish him to be on their premises, and he is clearly beyond the pale. And I, I, it's, it's an issue of class, but also I suggest in the book that it is an issue of education. You have a lovely quote, I'm going to quote you, where Roy Chubby Brown resolved to become a comedian while in jail, Jimmy Carr did so on a spiritual retreat in Greece. Yeah, that's, there's that's a difference sort of, between yeah. the two, yeah. Um, and, and Jimmy Carr, it is assumed, does not mean what he says. That's when it, he, when he, he does a joke it. about rape, we don't believe that he's a rapist. When Roy Chubby Brown does his jokes, there is a feeling that maybe he actually means it. 
and that's much worse. And the reason that he is assumed to mean it is that there doesn't seem to be any obvious layer of irony about this. Even though I would suggest that the, 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 the audiences are using these comedians for exactly the same purposes. The difference is that uh, Jimmy Carr and Frankie Boyle are university educated and so are most of their audiences. And they all know that it is wrong to laugh at this, but it's fun to be wrong to laugh at this. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of life on Mars yeah. feel to it. And, 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 it's and, slumming. And Chubby Brown is assumed to be genuine and that his audiences don't know that this is wrong to be laughing at this and fun to be wrong. And so you get Roy, Roy Chubby Brown is then banned by the BBC, banned by a lot of local councils in mostly Labour-controlled councils, inevitably, and I think there is a feeling on the part of that audience that there is a power structure in entertainment, uh, not about politics, but in entertainment, that is rejecting their tastes and their wishes. He is this hugely popular figure, but the BBC won't put him on and ITV won't put him on. There is, in that uh, expression of the, the metropolitan liberal elite, he is persona non grata, but he is the people's comedian and... The fact that he is excluded um, suggests that they too are excluded. There's, there, there is a line being drawn here in society, and a lot of it is to do with university education. It's, it is, it is a, the distinction. The divide has stopped being economic and has become yeah. cultural, which and, is almost which, a which commonplace. Is, these indeed, days, it's not. It? It's not an original uh, analysis at all. It's, it's, I'm. I'm, I'm trying to find examples and flesh it out to a large extent. But I, I, I do think it, it has changed British society quite dramatically. This move to... Under John Major, there was a target that 45% uh, of people leaving school should go to university. Tony Blair pushed that up to 50% as a target. And I think that has had a huge impact on, on, on the, the, the nature of the country. I want... Take another thing that you've pointed out, which, like so many things in this book, when you say it out loud, you, out loud, I go, yes, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You, 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 you talk about the uh, the internet um, and how and the effect that's had on us, and how for for um, young people, it's 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 not what what the sort of early adopters thought it was, which was a sort of a huge library. Mm. Um, it's not about the past and it's not even about the future as you say it's all about the present it's a sort of unmediated present in which narrative has has ceased to count stories are not a not a thing anymore um and and that 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 made me understand exactly what it is that my problem with it because i'm i'm wedded to story i'm wedded to narrative because of my age and mm -hmm. you know my background and so i'm uncomfortable you know, in, in this world of what is it? This is sort of the the endless hyper hyperlink or mm. something you said that about it. it I, I, it's not just you. I, I think this is the entirety of humanity um, is about imposing narrative. Mm. We live in a chaotic world that is not uh, innately friendly to human beings. We struggle to to establish ourselves and to to, to shape the environment around us, and we do so through through narrative and through imposing storylines on. And then we have this huge break. And I genuinely, I mean, it, it's the biggest thing that has happened in, mm -hmm. in our lifetimes. 
and I have no idea where but it, is, where it's it goes and what happens because, next. Because, you know, my children are going to have the, this sort of young person's approach to uh, to well to the internet and and the the undermining of narrative and story um it's going to be a completely different species yeah, it is i think and and but i don't know what what that is because i don't think humanity has been here before um and it's more than just a technology it is a different mindset altogether it's a different brain structure that is needed to deal with and i'm i'm, I'm genuinely fascinated to <laughs> see where it goes because i i, I really don't don't have any idea and it did change and that's this century it was it was social media that changed it in the 1990s when when the internet first arrived it was doing the same stuff that it, that, that humanity had always done you, you you now had access to a better shops um mm. you could get you could buy anything from around the world and you could access newspapers and television from around the world and all of that was just an exaggeration of where we already were and then starting really with youtube i think as, as the dominant what year one. did youtube start that's i think that's about 2004 but it's around that time that you get also i mean myspace which is no longer with us but that's 2003 wasn't um, it? yeah, yeah but, but but also early. but also uh yeah then all the, all the ones that have survived uh twitter and facebook and so on um that social media was a different thing this was no longer just the internet this was no longer a, a, the, the world's greatest ever library and the greatest ever marketplace. This was now something that was unique and different. And the new world of, of social media, I think the point of that and why it's significant, I mean, as I say, long term, who knows, but right now, why it seems to be significant is that it gave people the power to speak directly in public. It is a form of democracy in a way that we have not had before. Everybody's voice is of equal opinion. And if we have no time for experts, that's because we all believe that we are all experts now. We are all entitled to a voice. But that's a very different concept of democracy to the political system that we have created. We have a political system that is based on representative democracy. And social media is precisely the opposite. It does not need me to have a representative. I can speak for myself, thank you. And, but it's a it's a feral kind of democracy, isn't it? Oh, it is. But then, it's, it's, again, it's something that we haven't encountered before. So, how how is it going to be anything but? It is a very noisy, shouty place. But people wish to participate in it, despite all the stories of of internet bullying and, and the negative aspects of social media. Huge numbers of people still wish to participate because they want to have their voice heard, and they do not want it to be mediated and filtered through other people and that presents a massive clash with the concept of representative democracy and i think the brexit referendum when people were entitled to have their voice and were told that it would be acted upon that they were going to have their wishes put into pra into practice by the government that was a, re a, a, a political manifestation of social media to a large extent i think social media says that your voice is important and you do not need a representative anymore. Finally, I just want to uh, make one point. It's rather pointedly a history of England rather mm. than Britain, is this book. Um, England in the this 24th. Is, this, this is one of the ways in which it differs from the uh, the trilogy before, which mm. were Britain in the 1970s. So 80s, why? 90s. Why is it England rather than Britain? I think the... the uh, 
the nations of the United Kingdom have diverged sufficiently that it, 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 there are different stories to be told. And it seemed to me, particularly because, as I say, Brexit is it's kind of just over the horizon of this book. I, 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 mm. I, I, I use the word maybe once or twice, but um, but, it, but, but this the is whole this is the road the road to, to yeah, Brexit the road as to much Britain. as anything yeah, else. Yeah. And it is it's an English phenomenon. It's, 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 it's almost entirely concentrated in England, and in the twenty fifteen election, there was a majority for a majority vote for parties that were promising a referendum on Europe. Uh, the, the Conservative Party and UKIP, between them commanded over 50% of the vote in England. It was always about England. And so therefore that seemed to me the, uh, the story that I wanted to tell was how we'd got to that point. Fair enough. Well, All In It Together by Alwyn Turner is published by Profile Books at £20. Um, it is marvellously entertaining. It's so well written as well that, um, yeah, the, uh, the uh, A-level students definitely getting it. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.